Welcome, my friends, to the Pastor's Cut podcast, the Easter edition. This is going to be for Easter Sunday for April 17th, 2022. We will be looking at Luke 24 and the resurrection of Jesus. I have with me today, my name is Dave, by the way, I have with me Brad Henderson back on the booth. Hey, guys. And Brett Oliver, the intern. Hello, hello. So we are excited to be diving into the text today. Brett, before we get going too much, now the audience has never actually met you. You have been behind the scenes since the beginning of this, even before the beginning of this podcast. So if you don't mind just sharing a little bit about what uh, you love the most about podcasts. Oh gosh. Uh, I fell in love with podcasting back in college. I got introduced to it through my uh, major in communication studies doing a little bit of journalism, and then we were looking at modern forms of media. And one of the projects you could pursue for like the midterm and then the final uh, was to make a video presentation, an audio presentation, or to just write a paper. And I was already writing seven, eight, nine papers a semester, so I thought, a podcast? Those are cool. Let's try and make one of those. So we had a booth set up for students, a little studio with like three mics and a soundboard, and got in there, and I just fell in love. I did... A little podcast that no longer exists because I deleted it and then did another one and deleted that and I've been trying my hand at it several times just kind of on my own it's it's the conversational format that I love well we'll have a lot of conversation today so that will be fun uh, Brett thank you so much for stepping in for for pinch hitting both Darren and Marissa are out today Marissa can't be with us because she's in Israel that's a very good reason that is a very good reason and Darren is has a very full schedule today, so we will gla- gladly and graciously excuse him, and we're going to dive into Luke 24. Normally, our pattern is to read the passage before we get into it, but there's a lot of scripture that we will actually bypass. Instead of reading it all, we're going to be looking at Luke 24, verses 1 through 12, and then also we will be picking back up with verse 36 and going all the way through the end of chapter 24 through verse 53. So with that being said, what I'd like to do is we'll just talk through the text, looking at three sections, looking at the main part of what's going on in Luke 24 verses one through, I'm gonna say through verse eight, and then we'll pick up and look at nine through 12, and then we'll, we'll fast forward from there to look at the rest. So in the first part of the passage, as we look at it, we see that, that early in the morning on, on Sunday morning, some women went out. They went to see what was going on with Jesus. They actually wanted to anoint him, and they went there, and they found an empty tomb. As you have been studying, because you're actually writing the pastor's cut for this round, this uh, Easter Sunday we resume using the pastor's cut. We're coming back from doing the, the Tell Someone series, and so as we dive in on Easter Sunday— what, what have you been discovering from this first part of the passage? What, what stood out to you? The first thing that grabbed my attention was they were headed to the tomb and intending to honor and kind of uh, carry through with the funeral rites of after someone had died and you'd place them in the tomb and this was part of their honoring process. We've all unfortunately gone to the graveside of a loved one and laid flowers and whatnot. Maybe you have a service member that was in the service 
a service mem- family member who is in the service. You've planted flags, perhaps. And so this is essentially what they're doing. They're already in a somber mood, sorrowful mood. Tears probably already coming as they're wanting to pay respects. So that's that's where their minds are at. They're coming to, you know, last rites and say say some say some goodbyes. And as this unfolds, that understanding that mindset of the women approaching the tomb helps like give the angels announcement coming that little extra punch because their their minds are not uh, thinking ahead or thinking about anything else they're just like mary's like my son is gone our master's gone and we don't know what to do and then they encounter angels and and have this this total supernatural moment with the angels what what sort of significance do you think that is for for them and for us even today the appearing of the angels or what the angels said? Both. Okay. Uh, it's not the first time angels have appeared. It's happened periodically throughout the Old and the New Testament. And some of the people here have already seen it once before, which is kind of an odd thing to say. that This is my second time seeing an angel. Not many of us can say that. Uh, it's a bit different of a format, though, because they don't appear before the people and say that classic line of, fear not, like you're not in trouble, I'm just bringing a message. They're already there. They're kind of to use a young people word, they're just kind of chilling, just sitting there waiting. And the disciples show up and they say, why are you, what are you doing? Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? And that kind of dead ringer question of like, wait, what, huh? What do you mean the, the living? They must have responded or been thinking, he, we, we watched him die. And that reminder comes out of, no, you, you were told it must happen this way, which is a hinge point we can unpack a little bit more. But... So their presence is almost casual, which completely undercuts the sorrowful uh, saying goodbye tone that everyone's walking up to this tomb with, and they're they're unfazed. Not that human problems have ever phased the angels, but it's very clear here they're not they're not worried at all. They're not sad. They're it's just business as usual. They've they're announcing this return, and it's completely undercut what everyone was expecting to happen. So now we and the disciples are in this moment of what. Yeah, it's almost like this jarring back and forth, like you, you, you're expecting one thing, but you get something else in return. That's the beauty of Easter Sunday. We, we, we go in, we're, we remember the weight of our sin, the consequences of our sin, but then we go in and we remember Jesus died, and he rose from the dead to deal with the consequences of sin. There's life, there's victory, there's freedom. And I love how the angels even recap by saying, didn't you know, or don't you remember what, what Jesus said to you? It is necessary that the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. That, that there's something about that retelling of the story that's totally important to witnessing the resurrection, that it was necessary for Jesus to do those things in order that we might find new life. Jesus had been hinting at this before this moment. At, at the Last Supper, he'd explained it probably in the fullest detail in the Scriptures and even still the 12 gathered with him didn't fully understand what was going on. But at moments before this, in all four Gospels, Jesus hints at and talks about his coming death, and it just goes right over everyone's head. But it's at this moment that all the pieces kind of click in together. Yes. And the party that went, the party that went to check out what was going on, I find it fascinating. We have Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the the mother of James, consequently the mother of Jesus, and other women with them. They went and then they told the apostles and told everyone else who was with with the 11 what they had encountered. 
Do you think there's anything significant that, that it was women that had gone off to see Jesus initially? I think part of it was they were probably just performing the duties of women in that culture. It was part of tradition, I'm sure, and family responsibility and friend responsibility to go out and mourn your loved ones or your teachers and your rabbi and whatnot. Um, but associated with that, one of the themes that we also see is that um, in an ancient culture where women were less important, to say it frankly, they're the ones that get to deliver this good news. And throughout Jesus's interaction with them, he's elevating these people, these sinners even, to the same table as the rest of his disciples. Not that they would go on to be teachers in the same capacity, but they're part of that knit group that are mentioned, that are witnessing the events of the cross, that are witnessing the resurrection, that get to be part of that, what, wait, he's alive and run off and tell it? They're all part of the same group of, of mathetes, of disciples yes. that, that are following the way of Jesus. It's not just a limited few amount of people, but it's a broader community of believers that, that are all gathered together that, that are worshiping Jesus and understand who he is and what he's about. And so I think there's incredible significance there that it's not just the 11 or just the 12. It's not just a, a, an exclusive club, so to speak. People who were serious about following Jesus were gathered together. They, they were huddled together. They were, they were trying to figure out what to do next and what was happening in, in all of that. And then they found hope. And so what happened with Peter in particular? He took off running. And if you read John's account, they both ran. And John may have run faster. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And I, I like this, this word that's used to describe in verse 12 what happened. He went away amazed at what had happened. That same word is used to describe what the, the shepherds experienced when they saw the angel angelic encounter at the very beginning of Luke when the angels appeared in the heavens and, and said, there's a Savior that's going to be born to you. They were amazed. They were also terrified. But then they went and saw Jesus, and they walked away praising God and were amazed. And Mary was amazed then, and she treasured up all those things in her heart. That same word that's used to describe some sense of awe or wonder or worship is used by Peter, or used to describe Peter here after the resurrection, that there's something awe-inspiring about what, what happened, that the empty tomb caused Peter to be full of worship, be full of joy, be full of excitement. Well, uh, <clears throat> And that word choice had to be intentional because Luke, Luke is writing about this after the fact. He wasn't the same kind of eyewitness as everyone else. He was gathering these stories and then collecting them. So his word, he did that. He was, or God inspired him to do that on purpose. Absolutely, he did. Speaking of purpose, there's an interesting phrase that, that Luke throws out in the middle of this. It's, it's the Greek word day, D-I-E, and it, it literally translated as it is necessary. Luke uses that phrase in the middle of this, saying, quoting Jesus, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed at the hands of men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. What kind of significance do you think there is for, for that phrase, it is necessary, in the middle of all of this? I think it's a moment where Luke is peeling back the curtain on the behalf of the divine for the sake of the reader. And... Uh, attempting to describe the the revelation of this moment of this was always going to happen this was always the plan it this this must take place where it's in that phrase he's jumping all the way back to genesis 2 2 and 3 
in, in, in the fall. Absolutely. Yes. And, and that phrase, it's, it's one of Luke's favorite phrases in both Luke and in Acts. He comes back to that again and again and again, typically referring to the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus as a necessary component for the forgiveness of sins, which then if you fast forward uh, to verses 36 through 53, we see even in the middle of that, that, that in verse 46, this is what is written, the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses, Marturo, of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. So as we look at, at this passage, at this section of scripture, looking at the, the back hack of Luke 24, which interestingly enough sounds almost like Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, as we see the beginning of what's going on um, in Luke 24, we're looking at, at Jesus appearing before the disciples. What, what stood out to you from this particular passage? I'm trying to, I'm trying to flip back to the Abrahamic covenant because the wording in 46 makes, makes me think of it. Um... And which which one? Genesis twelve, Genesis seventeen, Genesis Genesis fifteen. Okay, maybe twelve. The fifteen, the the specific covenant between God and Abraham about uh, becoming a great nation. The the wording I'm thinking of is, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. Mm-hmm. Not only is my mm-hmm. blessing and my providence for you and your peoples, but all peoples. And then in forty six. He said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. I, It's either Luke studying his Torah very well, or the people talking to Luke, just knowing the history of these promises. Either way, it comes together beautifully to me. Is that That's what this promise was. The Abrahamic covenant has been standing this whole time and was just fulfilled just fulfilled through jesus and and for those that are listening if you turn if you want to look at genesis 12 verses 1 through 3 verse 3 in particular says i will bless those who bless you i will curse those who curse you or actually specifically it says i will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you that that that's that that is one of the things I think that Luke was tapping into. Luke probably was also alluding to what would come. He, I don't know if he knew that he was going to write Acts yet at this point, or if he'd already started writing Acts and as he was gathering everything together. But this certainly also sounds a lot like Acts one eight. You um, will receive power from the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that ends of the earth thing is repeated, going to all nations, letting everyone know that Jesus rose from the dead so that people could experience forgiveness, freedom from sin, ultimately, to find new life in Jesus. And whether he planned it or not, that I feel like that parallel is, is important because not that the Bible is divided this way, but Acts is kind of the beginning of that, the next generation of the church, not, not the denomination, but the church of Christ, not just Israel as God's people, but now the church, the church body, the, the capital C church, as we call it. Right. So 
Big tough question from Darren. Uh oh. For you, based Uh-oh. off of what you just said. If no one sees me after this, I got it wrong. <laughs> so, so you said this began a new era, the era of the capital C church. If you could summarize the word dispensation in 20 seconds or in 20 words, what would you say? Can I get the word in a sentence? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, obviously, just, just joking. Um, dispensation or dispensationalism, it's the theory that there are different waves or movements of the Holy Spirit throughout time, and ah. some biblical scholars like to look at it as literally there was the dispensation of, of the, the time when, when God was walking with, with Adam and Eve, and you see maybe a little bit of that get, get to be experienced with, with Enoch as well, but then there's the, the dispensation of the patriarchs where God's Spirit is moving in a different way through the patriarchs. The dispensation of the judges where God's spirit would hover over certain people to bring redemption for the people of Israel at different points and so on and so forth. There's these different eras of time that, that God moved in different ways and then would ultimately culminate in this. I don't know that I subscribe to that theory. I don't even know that that matters so much because here you see this this outpouring of, of God's forgiveness and God's mercy in a whole new level where instead of it being available for for just a few select people, it's available for the masses, for anyone who calls in the name of the Lord. And it starts right here, right now. I think that's crucial and and fascinating. So if you were to look at this and you were to have maybe one, one dart, one thing that you would say, this is, this is the point of everything as we're looking at everything. And we're to sum up this, this entire set of passages in one thing, or maybe better yet, if you're teaching a community group, and you really want one point discussed, if there was one crucial point in all this, what would you hope that was discussed? Well, if it's a Darren Spoo-sized question, then I'll give a Darren Spoo answer, and I'll answer a very hard question with simple truth. What I know is that Jesus is risen and on the throne, and that's for everyone. No longer is it just Israel as God's people, but it's all people under God through his son. And because of his son's sacrifice and ascension, this, that, 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 that spirit that is also him, but is the spirit because Trinity can dwell in and be a part of us in our daily lives. So is it this dispensationalism of eras and different ebbs and flows? Maybe his history is odd that way. But what I know is that because Jesus reigns now and we have access to his spirit now, then this same message and hope is alive in us today for our neighbors and for our children tomorrow. If I were teaching this passage and I were looking at it, I'd hang on a lot of those questions that are asked throughout the passage because there's some really, really good questions that are asked early on in the passage. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And that's a good question. Don't you remember how he spoke about these things? And maybe even a bigger question to ask is really, who is Jesus? Because who Jesus shows up to be here in this passage is a lot different than who Jesus, well, the same Jesus we've seen throughout the New Testament, but maybe a different Jesus than what they expected. They, they expected to see a dead person. And instead, they saw someone that defeated the powers of sin and even of death, raising from the dead and proving that he had the power to defeat sin and death by doing so. That's something incredibly significant. And then I, I, I like that last verse there in, in verse 47, that, that Jesus said that he was sending the Holy Spirit as you stay in the city until you're empowered from on high. 
there's something about, about the Holy Spirit indwelling in us that empowers us to share the gospel with other people. And that's a major theme that we see later on in, in, in Acts, that time and time again, the Holy Spirit gives a special power, a special anointing to share who he is with other people so that other people can also experience the goodness of God. Okay, any final thoughts? The Easter season is a beautiful time because we get to celebrate a return to life literally in the world around us. And then we get to zoom in and focus on Jesus. It's easy to get lost in the routine of this celebration. We do it, you know, several years for our entire lives. And it's the same kind of rigmarole of telling the resurrection story. And we all know how it ends. And we talk about Jesus getting crucified and, you know, spoilers, he's not really dead. You can make jokes about it. You can be cutesy about it, but something I've been reflecting on because I kind of got jaded on Easter a few, a couple years ago was this is a much bigger deal than the Sunday where you get to wear your pink suit. This is huge. This, this is the one event that fundamentally altered the rest of our existence. Absolutely. Yes, this is it. This is the one event and it never gets old. It never gets tired. This is the same message 2,000 years ago that brought salvation and freedom that today brings salvation and freedom to people far from God. There are so many people that maybe have heard the message 50,000 times, but this weekend, Easter Sunday, will be their time to hear the message, and it actually clicks. It resonates with something inside of them, that that all that brokenness, all that hurting that they've experienced, they're going to say yes to Jesus because they're going to see that Jesus really did die for them, not just in general, for, for all of humanity. And when we approach that every Easter, if we were to approach it more like, okay, Jesus did this for me, not just this is a great story. I think that makes a big difference. And so maybe that's a good question to ask. How is this applicable to you? Just to keep it close to home. But then also spend some time praying for other people. Maybe pray in your community group for people that are sitting in in the seats during the same time that you're meeting in your community group so that they can hear and that it would click with them that Jesus is their Lord, that Jesus died for them to find new hope and new life. Because ultimately, Jesus died so that everyone would come to the knowledge of truth, that everyone would surrender to him. He doesn't want anyone to perish, as, as Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 2.4. So with uh, any final thoughts, or are we going to wrap up? And Brad, do you have any final thoughts? It just kind of hit me, that, that one little part, why are you looking for the, live, the, uh, the, the living among the dead? Um, how often that we do that? Not not necessarily looking for a live person in a cemetery, but we look for satisfaction. We look for life in things that have no life eternally. We we have they have no eternal value. We look for our satisfaction, our life in those things, and it's it's useless. You know the 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 true life, the true happiness, the true contentment, the true abundant life is only found in Christ the sound man with a truth bomb love it love it that's awesome well I had 20 minutes to think about it Uh, well thank you thank you so much Brad for that contribution what truth is there man how many times do we look for life among things that only bring death instead of looking for life where it can be found, ultimately where God designed for us to find it in him and through him. As Paul writes in in Colossians 1, in him we find redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In him we find life and life abundantly. 
And so may we look to life in Jesus. With that, I just want to say thank you guys for tuning in today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God cause his face to shine upon you. And may God's grace be with you as you go. Hey, amen. Blessings, friends. Bye.